Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Florida politics heading into 2022 looks a lot like it has for the last 20 years, with Republicans riding high and Democrats playing catch-up. And it all starts with Governor Ron DeSantis, who's made a name for himself nationally by defying public health recommendations and appears to be in a strong position to win re-election. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and I'm joined today by Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. And we're looking ahead to the top issues to watch in Florida politics in 2022. We're going to skip the numbers segment this week and dive right into our top five list. I'm going to throw these out as questions to you, Antonio. My first one is can DeSantis maintain his momentum in 2022? The governor has plenty of detractors, but he's been on a hot streak and continues to get national buzz among Republicans. What's your prediction for whether DeSantis maintains his mojo next year? Well, I say there's 60 million reasons for the governor governor to be able to keep his momentum, uh, namely the $60 million or so that he's raised for his 2022 re-election effort. I spoke with Democratic Congresswoman Lois Franco of West Palm Beach this week. Now, she's obviously one of those detractors you mentioned, but she fears the big campaign war chest that DeSantis has built up will allow his media machine to paint him as a complete success story while typecasting Democratic rivals as 21st century villains, you know, who are to blame for just about everything that's wrong and, and on the planet. And- And we've really seen how much money can make a difference in a big state like Florida. You know, Rick Scott spent deep from his own pockets, uh, was was able to squeak by uh, in his two races. Uh, DeSantis isn't personally rich, but he's he's uh, compensating for that by really building up a a huge, huge war chest here. It is. It's a huge war chest. Now, the one thing that he ought to be a little mindful of is, you know, and we mentioned this in previous podcasts, is that its approval rating is not sky high. Remember, before the pandemic and after his first year, he was writing about a 65% approval rating. And it's somewhere in the low 50s right now. So that that is, you know, that's something to keep an eye on, particularly, and we'll we'll talk about a little bit later, but as this Omicron variant rose through the state, uh, that's one thing that just to keep an eye on about. But but you're right, you know, you know, money and mojo are are linked. And, uh, you know, so we'll see, uh, you know, how, how this works out. But like I said, you know, and you mentioned money can get you very far in politics. Yeah. And I agree. And, and, I, and I think there's other reasons, too. I think that the governor's uh, pandemic policies, while they've really upset a lot of people on the left, I think, um, you know, people in Florida generally seem to, you know, seem happy. Uh, a lot of people do to, to, you know, not have a lot of restrictions on them. I'm not sure that all of his policies are popular. I think that 
things like, you know, masks in schools, while there's a very vocal opposition, I think, um, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, having those masks is, might be a good safety precaution. But in general, uh, it does seem like he's been um, able to parlay this whole free state Florida thing, even though, you know, nobody's really calling for lockdowns anymore or calling to close schools. Um, you know, he continues to to really push that issue. And so far, it seems to have been successful for him. It's it's given him uh, a national profile. It, it's really turned him into, uh, you know, the leading candidate. It's very, very early, but the, the leading candidate, if Donald Trump didn't run in 2024 to uh, in the Republican nomination, DeSantis uh, is getting a lot of buzz about that. So who knows? Florida politics is unpredictable. And uh, God knows this pandemic has been unpredictable. So we'll see what happens. But uh, for now, I think he's in a pretty good uh, spot heading into 2022. Antonio, my second question is is uh, uh, kind of uh, parlays off the first one. But can Florida Democrats get their act together in 2022? You know, Florida Democrats are used to getting their hopes up only to see them dashed on Election Day. But this cycle it seems like even hope is is a little hard to come by. You know, Democrats have three credible candidates for governor, but none of them has raised a lot of money or is generating a ton of enthusiasm yet. Maybe that's because the political trends all seem to be pointing in the GOP's favor. It's not just that, uh, you know, DeSantis is, is looking strong, but, you know, you have Republicans overtaking Democrats at voter registration. You have the fact that Trump won the state in 2020 by a healthy margin. Antonio, is this the year? Democrats finally find the right formula for winning in the midterms? Look, it's an uphill climb, and, and not just the money, which we just covered, but also voter registrations. As we reported this year, you know, yeah, for the first time ever, the number of Republican registered voters in Florida outnumber Democrats. And then there is messaging. You know, I'm not sure what the Democrat sales pitch to Floridians is going to be. We know what DeSantis' sales pitch is. You know, you just mentioned it, you know, that very appealing, I kept the economy open line. Yes, at the cost of many people's lives and a lot of illness, a lot of which could have been prevented by allowing mask mandates and prodding vaccinations. That would have allowed the economy to stay open while keeping COVID infections and deaths much lower. But that takes a lot of explaining. And as we have said repeatedly on this podcast, if you're explaining, you ain't winning. So clearly advantage to Santos and Republicans going to 2022. Yeah, you have to think that just based on the track record in Florida for Democrats that, uh, you know, it, it was betting on them uh, is not necessarily uh, a high odd bet. But, you know, they have some bright spots. They have Val Demings, uh, the uh, Democratic congresswoman from Orlando, former police chief. She raised more money, eight, eight uh, over eight million dollars in the last quarter than any a challenger for a Senate seat in the country. Um, you know, she was on uh, Joe Biden's shortlist for a vice presidential pick. Um, you know, she raised more money than her opponent, uh, Marco Rubio. Um, you know, she's African-American. There's a, there's hope uh, among Democrats that she can excite their base. And you also look at the fact that, you know, Trump did increase his margin in Florida, but he only won by 3.3 percentage points. It wasn't exactly a blowout by national standards. It was a bit of a blowout by Florida standards, but it still, I think, uh, keeps the perception that, you know, it, these races are within reach. You, you did have Nikki Freed win a statewide race in 2018 for agriculture commissioner. So you, you do have a Democrat in office right now that was elected statewide. So, you know, there's 
it, it's not like Florida is a, is a deep, deep red state. It definitely has trended red. But um, if Democrats could figure things out, um, you know, this, it does still seem like uh, these races are within reach. Well, my question number three, what impact will Omicron have on Florida politics? You have a new COVID variant spreading rapidly across the state, and it presents really another test for the state's leaders. I, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious at this point that DeSantis is almost certain to stick with his hands-off approach, which means no business closures, no mass mandates, no vaccine mandates, no vaccine passports. And this strategy, as I said earlier, seems to be working for him politically uh, for the most part on balance. But politics and the pandemic are unpredictable. And if Omicron ends up being worse than previous ways, it could test the governor's resolve to limit any restrictions uh, on daily life, regardless of the cost to public health. Antonio, what's your prediction for how Omicron will influence Florida politics next year? Man, look, the answer is that it looks like Omicron will have the same impact as Delta. And by that, I mean, it will just be another fault line in the political landscape. Democrats will blame DeSantis for the impacts of the virus. They'll make the case that DeSantis tied the hands of public health and local authorities in terms of their ability to implement protective measures. And then Republicans will blame, blame President Biden. I heard that talking point this week from a conservative podcast host from Miami, who's also a Fox News analyst. He pointed out that Biden talked a good game about crushing the virus. But now he said, look who's getting crushed. In other words, Omicron, like Delta, We'll get a lot of people sick. The University of Florida projected as many as 150,000 cases a day by February, and it may end up killing a slew of Floridians. But will it change many minds on the political landscape? Will, will it unify Floridians behind ways to protect everyone? You know, 62,000 dead by now hasn't done that. Yeah, uh, it's hard to see how uh, things change much. I mean, uh, you, you look at... Um, the, the last wave and uh, the governor sort of rode that out. Um, there was pressure. The hospitals were, um, you know, at their capacity and some were uh, over capacity. But, you know, he wrote it out. He rolled out these uh, monoclonal antibody clinics um, as sort of his his main response to uh, the Delta wave and, and said, you know, people should get this treatment if they they get sick. I mean, it is true that vaccines are widely available now, um, except for very young children. Uh, people can get their booster shots. If people want to protect themselves, they can. So it's a, it's definitely a different situation than we faced um, early in the pandemic. Um, and the politics seem to have, have really hardened on this. So who knows, though? I mean, you see how contagious this variant is. It is spreading so rapidly. Um, and, and you really do have to watch the hospitalizations. If the hospitals uh, are just completely and utterly overwhelmed, it could change the political uh, calculus here. Well, question number four, how aggressive will the Florida GOP be with redistricting? This year, uh, next year, actually, we have the governor's race. We have the U.S. Senate race. Uh, that's sort of the marquee attractions in Florida's midterm could, um, election, but then you also have these contests uh, in the U.S. House and in the Florida legislature that could really prove pivotal, pivotal. And redistricting will play a huge part in how some of these races turn out. Um, you know, if Republicans draw district lines uh, heavily in their favor, it could really cement GOP control of the Florida legislature for another decade. 
and it could help uh, Republicans at the national level win control of the U.S. House. Antonio, do you think the GOP ends up pushing a really heavily gerrymandered uh, redistricting map, or does it sort of go with uh, redistricting light this year? Well, you know what? I, I think on the legislative side in Tallahassee, I, I think they could keep the lines where they are right now and still control both houses yeah. going forward. But I think the interesting question is on the congressional side. Look, it, it would be an absolute shock if they didn't push redistricting hard to help them um, gain those extra seats in, in Congress. You know, Republicans are basically betting the House on taking back the House of Representatives. You would think they would redraw the lines on those two House districts in Miami to make sure they stay in the hands of the Republicans in those seats. And those are two districts that have been flipping back and forth for the last decade. Uh, then there is that extra congressional district that's coming to Florida thanks to the census. You know that's going to be a Republican uh, a district. It's going to be a lock for Republicans. And somehow, though, Zach, I mean, don't you think some other Democratic-friendly districts in the state may get redrawn to be more favorable to a Republican challenger? You know, the GOP must be looking to pick up another seat here or there on their way to trying to get that majority in the House that they so ardently covet. Yeah, I, 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 my guess is that it'll end up being more aggressive than less aggressive, especially with the um, congressional map. Although, you know, <clears throat> the legislative leaders, they don't have as much personal interest in the congressional map. I mean, some of them do if they want to run for Congress. There's a lot of pressure on them nationally to to help the party, uh, I would think, and uh, to try and help them pick up as many seats as possible. You saw the the congressional map that was put out by the Florida Senate, I think it would would have allowed Republicans to pick up maybe one congressional seat. The one that was put out by the Florida House, I think, had three additional congressional seats that were GOP leaning. So, you know, if you pick up one seat versus three seats, I mean, you know, that could that could control Congress right there. So I think that there's going to be a push at some level for a more aggressive uh, map, and we'll see uh, how that plays out. In the past, you know, the Florida Supreme Court, um, you know, rejected the the congressional map because they said that it didn't fit with Florida's anti gerrymandering constitutional amendments, the Fair Districts amendments. But you have a Florida Supreme Court that's been overhauled by Governor Ron DeSantis with what are widely viewed as more conservative justices. I could see the legislature trying to test uh, the court and see if they are going to, um, you know, really follow every detail in the fair district amendments or come up with some some new interpretations of what's allowable under those amendments. So um, my guess is that uh, some of these maps will be more aggressive um, than not, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Well, our final question here, uh, question number five. Will January 6th and election fraud rhetoric still impact Florida politics in 2022? Next week is the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection um, and the election fraud rhetoric that led people uh, to storm the Capitol really continues to reverberate in Florida politics with state elections officials saying they've been besieged by Trump supporters who are still complaining about fraud more than a year after the election. There's cause, uh, calls by some county Republican parties to audit election results, even here in Florida where Trump won. Um, you know, you've seen GOP leaders react with new restrictions on voting uh, in, in the state, and there's proposals to uh, for more election oversight. 
going forward. Uh, you know, Florida is a state where we saw more people arrested for participating uh, in the January 6th insurrection than, than any other state, including, um, you know, more members of, of like far right extremist groups like the Proud Boys um, and the Oath Keepers. But we're still seeing um, uh, a lot of this rhetoric, uh, obviously from President Trump, but then you see other GOP leaders um, indulging sort of th this uh, fraud rhetoric um, implicitly by um, pushing voting restrictions. Antonio, do you expect to see more of this in 2022? Yes, and that's kind of the been the 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 really um, troubling aspect of how the fallout from January 6th has played out in the state. You would think that an attack on the Capitol that was meant to stop the peaceful transfer of power from one political party to another, from one president to another, you would think that that's something that would get universal condemnation. And in fact, it's been the opposite. It's become yet another polarizing fault line between Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, and everybody in the middle having to choose sides. Um, and, and one of the things I talked to a FAU uh, political science professor and chair of the department there, Kevin Wagner, this, this week. And one of the things that he said that's really dismaying about this is how it's created an even more toxic political environment, where yet again, it's another issue where people cannot sit down and have a discussion without concluding that the other side is evil, that the other side has some part of some big conspiracy, what the other side is part of. They, it, so it, it's been rather troubling and worrisome to see how the rhetoric uh, has played out, particularly this question of, you know, the falsehoods about election fraud. There, there was no election fraud uh, in in the country last year, at least not meaningful enough to to have made a difference in the in the, in the election. Joe Biden won by seven million popular votes and close to seventy electoral votes. That that's that you know the courts ruled that. That's not you and I saying it. You know, Trump's lawyers went to the courts. They they presented the evidence and they all got dismissed, like 60 something cases. Uh, you know, Republican attorneys generals went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court wouldn't even listen to their argument. And that's and, and, and uh, by the way, a Supreme Court with three Trump appointees to it. There, there was no meaningful, significant election fraud. That, and actually, the only fraud that's been discovered in Florida in the last year, apparently, are the, the legal cases against former state senator Frank Ortiz and others for, you know, for him and others that were, were involved, you know, this investigation of others that may have been involved in trying to use these ghost candidates to sway these state Senate races. And you also so, have the uh, the seniors in the villages who uh, who are Republicans exactly. who voted in two states, Florida and uh, the you know, state where they came from. Right. And, and even then, even then, though, those shenanigans, while they may have flipped or they may have played a role in, in three state Senate races, and that's really important. I don't mean to minimize it, but it had absolutely no impact on Florida's electoral votes and, and the way Florida voted. So, um, and yet they pushed, you know, Senate Bill 90 to, to restrict mail-in voting. Actually, something that Wagner told me that was also kind of interesting is, look, you know, the interest, the, the perplexing thing about this is that mail-in voting is something that Republicans have used very effectively in the last 20 years, while Democrats have been more reliant on early in-person voting and, and same-day vo voting. So, 
Uh, it's almost like why? What's the well, point of this? That that, like, that kind of flipped the last election though, because Trump was was bashing mail-in voting exactly. so much and claiming that it was so full of fraud that you saw Democrats really increase in mail-in voting uh, way more than Republicans. So well, and uh, and, Dem- and Democrats. And I remember hearing this discussion after the the March presidential primary where Democrats started saying, look, you know what? We're going to push mail-in voting because we don't know where this pandemic is going. We don't know where the cases are going. They were worried about in the March 17th presidential preference primary in in 2020, uh, I know that in Palm Beach County and in other counties too, a lot of poll workers who tend to be older retired people got scared and canceled out and, and it created a lot of havoc at some of these polling places. So Democrats, not knowing where this was going, they started pushing the mail-in voting. That That's the source of the mail-in voting by Democrats was never about some sort of fraud or using- Right, that's sort of overlooked in all of this is it was exactly. all about COVID and COVID safety. <clears throat> yeah, and that, that's what it was. But but Trump, you know, starting in, I remember in, in, in July of 2020, Trump was out saying that, Maybe we should postpone the election. And remember, and, and then when DeSantis was asked about that that same day, he was like befuddled by it. He said, "Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we, you know, we we don't use. You know, he was basically defending the Florida system, and then said that you know got lauded because Florida. And it's true, Florida ran a really clean 2020 election. And you know who can take some credit for that? At least in Palm Beach and Broward counties, it was DeSantis. Why? Because one of the first things he did as governor was that he booted. <laughs> the election supervisor in Palm Beach County that it had a number of troubled election disasters put in another one, Wendy Link, who actually ran a really good election. So, and yet here we are because yeah. of this rhetoric. And w- one thing that's really worth pointing out is that election officials in Florida, the the officials who who actually run the election at the county level, Florida has you know a local. Um, uh, system where you have county election supervisors in all 67 counties who are the ones who are actually running the election on the ground. These officials are pretty distraught by all of this. They're fed up with all of this, you know, Republican and Democrat. There's this bipartisan pushback against uh, by these election officials. They they put out um, a pretty remarkable letter in October saying, hey, Cool it, people. Uh, tone down your rhetoric. There wasn't fraud uh, on any meaningful level, and you need to to stop this. You're undermining faith in our election system. You know, Florida ran a good election. Um, you know, stop stop getting people worked up about something that that didn't happen. You, um, I spoke um, this week with um, uh, Wesley Wilcox, who's the election supervisor in Marion County. Uh, which is where Ocala is, very Republican area. He's a Republican. He's head of the Election Supervisors Association. I spoke to him for a story uh, that you and I worked on, Antonio, that's going to be published next week about sort of um, how these uh, the rhetoric that led to uh, January 6th, these claims of fraud, have continued to reverberate in Florida politics um, with some of the, the pressure that's being put on uh, election officials and, and some of these um, uh, you know restrictions on voting. And Wesley Wilcox told me like, you know, this is just a totally false narrative. This idea that there was this widespread fraud is just false. And yet he also told me that multiple people had contacted him just in the last week with records requests, uh, um, you know, looking for information about voting rolls and, you know, trying to ferret out some kind of fraud. And he, he still gets contacted by people all the time 
who are parroting uh, some of these claims by the former president. Um, and, and, he, and he just worries that election officials are basically besieged, that they're stressed out, that um, that they're they're going to retire uh, in large numbers and that you're going to see a more of a, a, a politically motivated uh, people uh, come into these offices and that you're just going to have more partisanship in um, in in these jobs, which have they they are partisan jobs. You know, you get elected uh, as an election official as a Republican or a Democrat, but they're generally viewed as as more administrative, um, and that you you know you're you're supposed to be calling balls and strikes and not uh, you know to to um, inject your politics into these jobs. And he worries that more people are going to be coming in and injecting their politics into these jobs. So elections officials are really in Florida as they are in many other parts of this country, sounding a warning right now that that this is um, getting out of control and, and it is uh, something to, to watch heading into um, the, the next year and the next um, election cycle. Yeah, and Zach, I think I think we should at this point point out that this is a big deal. This anniversary is not just an anniversary, that there's been 12 months of this playing out with all kinds of consequences and ramifications. So I just want to let all our listeners know that there will be a lot of coverage from our reporters and our teams next week of this, including also from our the USA Today Washington Bureau that's also going to be covering this. So keep your eye out on all the Gannett Florida news sites because you, you're going to see a lot of uh, reporting and, 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 and stories and, uh, on this issue because it is a really big deal. Yeah, and check out the story that Antonio and I worked on. Uh, it's all about how this has impacted Florida politics. Uh, that'll be out early next week, um, and uh, you know we're 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 going to have lots more political coverage for everybody in uh, the the new year. It's a big election year. We're excited um, to to kind of dig in and, and cover some of these races and some of the big issues uh, involved, uh, and you'll you'll hear about all of that. Um, on this uh, this podcast. Uh, well, that wraps up uh, the final Inside Florida Politics podcast of 2021. I want to thank our audio production guru, Chander Hofel, and thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great new year. We'll see you in 2022. And until then, we're out of here. Bye.